Our dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and mercy and love that we have been partakers of. We are grateful, Lord, for the food you give to us, the water we drink, the air we breathe. We thank you for the spiritual blessings that you give to us also. We thank you for the watch care and the blessing of your holy angels ministering to us. Glory be unto your name, O Lord. Today, Lord, we come to you to ask for the manna that you would give to us on our way to our heavenly Canaan, that we may be strengthened and sustained on this journey. Dear Lord, we pray, grant us also of your spirit, that you were also with the children of Israel on their journey, you will be with us in the same manner, that you would feed us through your word and quench our, our thirst and give us food for our hungry souls, as your word has promised that those who thirst and hunger will be filled. Put your words in my mouth, Lord, for the sake of your children, that we all may be blessed by the words we will hear, and edified and lifted up to heaven. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage May 29 Tested Again now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. First Samuel chapter 15 verse 3 The Lord sent his servant with another message to Saul. By obedience, he might still prove his fidelity to God and his worthiness to walk before Israel. Samuel came to the king and delivered the word of the Lord. The Amalekites had been the first to make war upon Israel in the wilderness, and for this sin, together with their defiance of God and their debasing idolatry, the Lord through Moses had pronounced sentence upon them. For four hundred years, the execution of this sentence had been deferred. But the Amalekites had not turned from their sins. The Lord knew that this wicked people would, if it were possible, blot out his people and his worship from the earth. Now the time had come for the sentence, so long delayed to be executed. The forbearance that God has exercised toward the wicked emboldens men in transgression. But their punishment will be nonetheless certain and terrible for being long delayed. While he does not delight in vengeance, he will execute judgment upon the transgressors of his law. He is forced to do this to preserve the inhabitants of the earth from utter depravity and ruin. In order to save some, he must cut off those who become hardened in sin and the very fact of his reluctance to execute justice testifies to the enormity of the sins that call forth his judgments and to the severity of the retribution awaiting the transgressor. But while inflicting judgment, God remembered mercy. The Amalekites were to be destroyed, but the Kenites who dwelt among them were spared. These people though not wholly free from idolatry, were worshippers of God and were friendly to Israel. 
of this tribe was the brother-in-law of Moses, Hobab, who had accompanied the Israelites in their travels through the wilderness, and by his knowledge of the country, had rendered them valuable assistance. Amen. So the title of our devotion for today is Tested Again. And we are looking at the life of King Saul majorly, but now comes into play the people called the Amalekites. And what we'll be looking at is concerning the Amalekites and the relationship of God to the world and the nations in the world. But in this relationship, we see the Lord calling Saul, King Saul, to do a work for him. And the work the Lord called King Saul to do is to execute judgment on the Amalekites. In the previous devotions that we have looked at, we have looked at what Saul did that was offensive to God and that is the sin of presumption. Saul over and over again had shown evidence that he was more concerned about his glory than the glory of the Lord. Saul was so concerned about how his people viewed him and wanted to take every opportunity to bring glory to himself. This thing the Lord hated and it is always bad because he's actually taking advantage of the things the Lord is doing and attributing it to himself. And God had seen this and in trying to do this because there are certain ways that things will be done that certainly glory will never go to him. But Saul always will try to change the way things are done and with the kind of words that he utters from his mouth showed that he was not going to give God the glory. And in the previous battles with the Philistines, the Lord neglected him and used Jonathan instead to bring glory to to himself and to help Israel to be free from the Philistines. The Philistines now knew that the Israelites, their Lord was with them because of the, the, the great victory that the Lord gave to them through the exploits of Jonathan and the rest of Israel, which Saul was actually neglected in that battle. He only just tried to join. And his trying to kill Jonathan only showed that his mind was not in the right place at all. This man was so consumed with self-exaltation that he didn't care to even want to kill Jonathan, who is the actual judge that the Lord used. Normally, when the Lord uses someone like he did for Jephthah, he did with Gideon, he did with Deborah and Barak, he did with Othniel, Ehud, who is it that will come and say, let us kill the person who it is that delivered Israel from their oppressors? Because he was made king, he had the guts to make that statement. Because normally, when such a great work is done, that person who the Lord uses becomes the judge. Jonathan is supposed to become the judge of Israel as it is now because he is the one the Lord used to bring that victory to Israel. But who, here is Saul saying he wants to destroy Jonathan. Very wrong thing. But the Lord told him that he was not going to make his family to be the monarch in Israel anymore. But the Lord is merciful indeed. Now, God came to Saul again to test him one more time. And all I can say about that before we go to look at the Amalekites is this. The Lord is merciful. When we fail the test he brings to us, if he does not bring that test again, we will remain in our failure and the record against us in heaven will remain there that we we failed our test. And eventually, we may not make it to the kingdom of God. In God's mercy, he brings us over the same ground again and again. 
so that we can have opportunity to develop the character that he wants to be in us and also so that we can have opportunity to have the right record written against our names in the books of heaven. Against Saul's name was written failure in heaven. Failure to give glory to God and it was written that he was one consumed with self-exaltation. But the Lord in mercy brought to him another test so that he can prove himself to heaven, to angels, to men, that he is a changed person. And the Lord called him to go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy it so that he can give evidence that he has transformed himself. It is not enough for us to just say, Oh Lord, forgive me, I have sinned. And then you say you have repented. We will be taking over the same ground where we have sinned before. And when we are taking over the same ground, it is an opportunity for us to prove that we actually have changed, that we have actually have repented. Because if the temptation comes to us again and we fall into the same sin, that means that that time we are asking for forgiveness, it was not from our heart. We had not changed. We were just asking from our lips, from feigned lips. That is the reason anywhere you are, whatever test it is you have failed, it is in mercy that the Lord will bring you through that ground again. Did you fail in an issue where you had to tell a lie? The Lord will bring you to a tight corner again. And that time, he expects you to tell the truth. Abraham failed many times. He failed. The main thing he failed in was not just about telling lies, but it was about not trusting God. That was the issue with Abraham. The Lord brought to him a stronger test than the previous ones. When he went to the land of the Egyptians, he did not trust God to protect him. He told a lie. When he went to the land of the Philistines, he did not trust God to protect him. He told a lie. And when he was getting older, because he didn't have a child, he didn't trust God. And he tried to do things for himself. And then Ishmael came. The Lord had seen that Abraham's trust in him was not perfect. He had trusted God in many other areas. Don't get you wrong. He was a faithful man. But it was not yet perfect. So the Lord called him to sacrifice Isaac. And in that matter, which was the strongest of all tests that a man can be put through, Abraham passed the test. He did not fail. He trusted God this time. The Bible records now, read it in Hebrews 11, that the Bible records that Abraham trusted that he who gave him the child was able to resurrect him. And he did not stop himself from doing what the Lord asked him to do. Saul now is being tested. And we, in mercy, whenever we see temptations coming our way, especially temptations where we had failed before, like in the case of Abraham, it was not really about the sin of lying itself. For you too, it may not really be about lying or it may not be about adultery. It may not be about uh, stealing and all of that. Because sometimes the reason why we sin is because we don't trust God to handle things for us. We tell lies because we don't trust God. We go into adultery sometimes because we are trying to get something from somebody. We don't trust God to provide that thing for us while living in purity. And other times, it may not be about not trusting God. It's just about the weakness of the flesh. Whichever the case, God knows how to bring tests to us so that when that test comes, it will be an opportunity for us to trust Him request for strength from him and when we request the strength from him he will supply the grace we then will use that grace to develop the character that we had not had initially and in meeting that temptation and test in the appropriate manner and overcoming it we develop the right character and guess what happens in heaven heaven rejoices angels will be pleased with a smile on their face to write the record 
unhesitatingly that we passed our tests why because they are waiting to welcome us to heavenly to the heavenly kingdom if we do not pass we cannot have company with angels we will not be among them because the lord is not going to admit to his kingdom anyone who does not follow his law who has not been tested and proved to be faithful the angels of god are waiting to write that record against our names that we passed our tests the angels of god are waiting to see us anxiously waiting to see that whenever we are tempted in the areas where we have failed in the past they are ready to wait and see us pass and rejoice in heaven you know jesus says it that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents and that is what the Lord does when he brings this test to us again. When we give the right response, there was a man called Jerome. Jerome was a reformer who lived in the, that was many years ago now, during the days of the papal supremacy. When Jerome, standing firm for the word of God, was brought to give his testimony, he wavered. He did not stand for God as he should have. But the Lord made it to be that he was locked up in prison. He tried to deceive. He didn't speak positively for the Lord. And then he was taken to prison and there he was tortured for a long time. I think almost a year. And he was troubled in that place. Food was not the proper kind. He suffered greatly in that prison. And the next time he was brought out to the court and asked concerning his faith. This time he did not fail the test. He spoke vehemently and straightforward pointed testimony he gave concerning his faith and gave glory to God. The Lord made it to be that he went through the test a second time so that he can exonerate himself. And so it is with us. God wants us to exonerate ourselves and to give proof and evidence that we are changed people and that's why he takes us through the test again. And that's what we learn from this experience with Saul. How he dealt with this test, we'll look at it in subsequent devotions. But then again, another thing we look at here is what the Lord did with respect to the Amalekites. As we look at the world today, some people do not understand that the Lord is is in control of this world. With every nation, the Lord has something to do. No matter what that nation is, whether it is your own nation, wherever you are from, or the, the great powers of the earth, whether it is USA, Russia, China, all of them, the Lord has something to do with everything going on in the world. If, if you see things going in a direction that looks like, oh, it is not favoring yourself or favoring the gospel of God, don't worry yourself. The Lord is in control. Especially the Lord is a judge of the earth. Like we read in our devotion, he is the one who chooses when to set up and to remove kings. He is the one who executes judgment through various ways on the different nations on this earth. For the Amalekites, he had proclaimed that he was going to do something to them. In Deuteronomy 25, reading from verse 17 to 19, before Moses' death, he reminded them something and here's what he said. He said, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way, when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, 
that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. Also, Balaam, when the Lord gave him a prophecy the third time, here was what Balaam said, and it was a message from the Lord, Numbers 24, verse 15 and 16. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, had said, and the man whose eyes are open had said, he had said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance but having his eyes open. Verse 19 now. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. Verse 20. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. Hmm. Why is the Lord giving these two testimonies that Amalek is going to be destroyed? Like we read in what Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy, he gave his reasons. It is because he feared not God. What does he mean by he feared not God? It is not just the iniquities of Amalek, which was already great enough for the Lord to destroy them. The fact that they were a warlike tribe who cared not about the commandments of God, very wicked people. That was not all. The real reason again why the Lord had determined and set his eyes on Amalek and said he was going to destroy them was because of what they did in really not fearing God, having no reverence for God. It's enough that they were living a life that was sinful terribly and was also iniquitous. They regarded not God and cared not. Worse than that, they did something that was very, very insulting to God. In the book of Exodus 17, reading from verse 8, it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Here is what we have seen before in previous devotions. When the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, they had come out. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had also gone through that place where they didn't have good water to drink. And the water was uh, done. Was God did it for them that it was now able to drink. It was bitter before, but God did it for them that it was now uh, good enough for drinking. After that time where they were complaining, as they were, the Israelites were moving to their journey, as they were following the pillar of cloud, what happened? The Amalek came from behind because there are some people who were weary. They would always fall back. The ones who are tired, they cannot walk fast. So they were at the back. And what happened? The Amalekites came and slew them unprovoked. The Israelites had done nothing to the Amalekites, nothing whatsoever. They had not come in contact with them. They had not threatened them, nothing at all. The Amalekites just came and they started to slay the Israelites. Now, Israel was moving in the name of the Lord. They had crossed the Red Sea. The pillar of cloud was there. The rock that gave them water was there. And Amalek had the gods to come and fight and destroy the people of the Lord. This is what the, uh, Moses meant when he said, For he feared not God. He didn't consider that these people are the people of God. And the Lord is the one leading them. He dared to come and challenge them. No nation did that. All Israel... Every time you see they are going to Canaan, they meet the nations. Is it that the nation beg like the Gibeonites? Or they are afraid like the, Jer the people in Jericho and lock their doors? Or they become terrified like Balak who said, please curse them for me, he told Balaam. Or they array themselves against Israel, but not that they left where they were to come and fight Israel unprovoked. They were in, on their own and the Israelites will come. But Amalekites, their case was different. So reading on from 
Exodus 17, we see there in verse 8, it says, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men, and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. We've gone through this before, and the Lord gave them the victory. But that day, in verse 13, it says, And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Wow. It's a fearful thing to challenge God. And that was what Amalek did. And God said, oh, since you will challenge me, I will set my eyes on you particularly and will blot you out from the face of the earth. Another thing we see concerning the Amalekites, because of the unfaithfulness of the children of Israel, when they entered into Canaan, instead of utterly destroying the people, rather, they put them under tribute. The Lord then made it to be that when the israelites started to worship other gods he made sure that other nations took over them and the amalekites were part of the people who did evil to the israelites and this was in the day of days of gideon reading judges chapter 6 it says and so it was when israel had sown that the midianites came up and the amalekites and the children of the east even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto gaza and left no sustenance for israel neither sheep nor ox nor ass for they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude for both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it and israel was greatly impoverished because of the midianites and the children of israel cried unto the lord so here we see again the amalekites involved with the midianites to so greatly impoverish the uh, children of Israel. So bad was it that Gideon had to go in hiding to trash his own flower. That's how wicked and brutal these people were. When they want to show their wickedness, they were ruthless. Another time we can see the cruelty of the Amalekites is in the days of David. We will find out that the work that the Lord gave to King Saul, he did not execute it. So the Amalekites were spared. They did not die, all of them. Some of them were still alive in the days of David. And they did something to David. Looking at 1 Samuel chapter 30 from verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Verse 8. And David inquired the Lord at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and four hundred men for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over to the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field, and brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs, and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. For he had eaten no bread, nor drunk any water, three days and three nights. Wow! Such a poor 
man. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me, because three days are gone, I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast which belonged to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burnt Ziklag with fire. And David said unto him, Can thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God, that thou wilt neither kill me, nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Here we see something about the nature and the different characteristics of the Israelites, like David and the Amalekites. This poor Egyptian did not want to go back to his cruel master, which he suffered the oppression which he, under the, of the Amalekites. The kindness shown him by David gave him an experience of what he was missing while being servant to the Amalekites. The Amalekites knew nothing of kindness which the Lord enjoined to be shown to servants. This is an example of the recklessness and disregard with which the Amalekites valued human life. The servant was treated as a mere tool and liability, which was to be disposed of as soon as he became useless to them. They just abandoned him because he was sick. Who, who does that? Yes, somebody, the Amalekites, they do that. But if you had any sense of conscience, any sense of compassion and sympathy, you know that this person is your servant. Why leave him along the way? Well, that only goes to show us the character of these Amalekites. Reading now verse 16, it says, And when he had brought him down, that's the servant, brought David to show him where the Amalekites were, behold, they, that's the Amalekites, were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. They were rejoicing in iniquity, sitting, eating, drinking, dancing, and making merry. Why were they making merry? For reaping where they did not sow. They did not care that they, there was an evil act that they did because they have always lived in defiance of God. Righteousness was not a part of their principles. Killing, stealing, deception, robbery, uh, wayfaring people, robbing wayfaring people was their religion. That was what they lived for and they rejoiced in their wicked acts. Remember that these were the same people long ago who attacked the Israelites. It was not a strange thing. They are still like that. They have not changed. Just going to attack people unprovoked. That was what they lived for and they rejoiced in their wicked acts. They plundered nations which were weak and rejoiced in it. They prayed on the weak and took advantage of them. Survival of the fittest was their motto. What happened to them now? Verse 17. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day, and they escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Amen. Here is an example of what the Amalekites were like. No wonder now. We know why God said these people, they must be blotted out of the earth. And we read in our devotion today in Conflicts and Courage, page 155, paragraph 4. The forbearance that God has exercised towards the wicked emboldens many transgression, but their punishment will be nonetheless certain and 
terrible for being long delayed. While he does not delight in vengeance, he will execute judgment upon the transgressors of his law. He is forced to do this, to preserve the inhabitants of the earth from utter depravity and ruin. In order to save some, he must cut off those who become hardened in sin. And the very fact of his reluctance to execute justice testifies to the enormity of the sins that call forth his judgment and to the severity of the retribution awaiting the transgressor." End of quote. The Lord is judge of the earth, and he sets up nations and brings down nations. And how does he do it? He raises up other nations to bring down the ones that are not in favor anymore, who have gone too far in iniquity, and he wants to uh, do something about it. And that is why, in the book of 1 Samuel 15, it says from verse 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And that's where you see the instruction the Lord gave concerning the destruction of the Amalekites. Like we said, the Amalekites were the first to make war upon Israel in the wilderness. And because of this sin, together with their defiance of God and their debasing idolatry, the Lord through Moses had pronounced sentence upon them. And this thing was delayed 400 years. The sentence he pronounced on them had not been executed, but the time had come to execute them. What was the characteristics of the Amalekites? They were oppressors, they were thieves, they were robbers. They were people who plundered other innocent nations weaker than themselves or ignorant who could want to do maybe want to do business with them and behind their backs the Amalekites had other plans and when you are doing business with them the next day they will slay the people and take from them what belongs to them. They deceive. You see what they did to their, um, David's people in Ziklag? How they came there, burnt down the place, took the wives and the children, everyone for themselves. What were, what were they going to use them for? As servants. And how do they treat their servants with cruelty? Once you become a liability, they dump you. There are people who were debasing in their practices. Apart from this issue of slavery and taking servants, there was still the part of their debasing idolatry. We saw what they were doing dancing spread all over the place. That's just a mild description of the kind of immorality that was going on there. You know, the Bible can be very discreet when it wants to describe the evil things that people do. In that short description of them spread all over the earth like David saw them. And they were sitting, standing, dancing and making merry. What do you think was going on there? It was a party. They were having a party. And who knows how to party like the idolatrous people and what was going to be involved in it? You can tell all the things that gives the pleasure whether it is alcohol and sex and all of that these were the people the amalekites the lord wanted to destroy them for their nature and their character when you see wars going on in the world today and battles calm down don't be quick to take sides the lord raises nations to destroy other nations for the reasons best known to him and that is the reason why wisdom demands that you keep silent do not join when other people are saying oh, solidarity for this nation solidarity for that nation you don't know god's mind concerning those nations the lord raised up babylon to destroy many nations in this earth and it was nebuchadnezzar who did that and it was the will of god that nebuchadnezzar did it 
he destroyed Jerusalem and burnt it down. Where we to be living in those days, we would have been saying, oh, Babylon such a wicked nation. But we would not understand that the Lord was the one who sent them to do that. There was a time when the Lord sent Pharaoh Necho to go and fight Babylon. And Josiah was like people today. They would watch mass media and be saying, oh, Pharaoh Necho is going to fight, is going to fight uh, Babylon. Who, who sent them to do that? Oh, they are wicked and this and that. But Pharaoh Necho told Josiah, don't involve yourself in this thing. It is the Lord who sent me to do it. Josiah would not listen. Josiah went to fight Veronico. What happened to him at the end? He was killed. He died because he went into a battle that he knew nothing about. Today we hear about different wars and we'll hear of more to come in the future. Calm down. You don't know who is involved and how God is working through those wars. Just so we understand what I'm talking about, I'm reading now from the uh, Second Chronicles chapter 35, reading from verse 20. It says, After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent ambassadors, that's Necho, sent ambassadors to Josiah, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling, look at that word, meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him, and hearken not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God, and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archer shot at King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am so wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had and they brought him to Jerusalem and he died and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Also in line with this to show us how the Lord raises kings for a purpose of judging other nations. In the book of Isaiah 45, it reads from verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And I will lose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Another case is that of Nebuchadnezzar. When Israel had seen, the Lord raised Nebuchadnezzar up for the purpose of bringing them into captivity. Reading in Jeremiah 20 verse 4, it says, For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will make thee a terror to thyself and all thy friends, and they shall fall by the sword of the enemies, and thine eye shall behold it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall carry them captive into Babylon, and shall slay them with a sword. Also in Jeremiah chapter 21, Reading from verse 7, it says, And afterwards said the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants, and the people, and such as are left in this city from the pestilence, from the sword, and from the famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, and into the hand of those that seek their life, and he shall smite them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare, neither have pity, nor have mercy. And in verse 10, he says, For I have set my face against this city for evil, and not for good, saith the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Brethren and sisters, what have I read now? These kings, Pharaoh Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, they are not worshippers of God. 
But yet the Lord spoke to them like Pharaoh said, it was the Lord who commanded me. So when you see what's going on, just like the Lord commanded um, King Saul to go and destroy the Amalekites, there are things going on in the world that you don't know anything about. Sometimes it is like the Amalekites who go to spoil other people when nobody has done evil to them. Sometimes it is the, like people like Veroneco who it is not because they are going to plunder anybody, but the Lord has raised them up to do a work to destroy some nations who whose sin has gotten to the height. And we read before that the reason the Lord does this is because if he doesn't do it, the righteous will not be able to live. Let me just take that statement again. It says in Conflict and Courage, page 155, paragraph 4, it says, In order to save some, he must cut off those who become hardened in sin. That is the statement. End of quote. So, let us not just meddle like, like Josiah meddled you have to stand still and understand what is going on. If there are nations in the world who, like Amalekites, are destroying others without purpose, like we know it has happened in the past, people who engaged in slave trade, the Lord will judge them in his own way. Reading from Isaiah 33 verse 1, Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou was not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. In another version, Bible in basic English, it says, Ho, you who make waste those who did not make you waste, acting falsely to those who were not false to you. When you have come to an end of wasting, you will be made waste. And after your false acts, they will do the same to you. Jesus said in the book of Matthew 7 verse 1 and 2, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And the Bible tells us, He that kills by the sword shall die by the sword. This now that we read, those who spoil and yet they were not spoiled, reminds me of the act of slavery, the slave trade that was done in Africa and all other parts of the world. It was not just in Africa. You see, God notices all this evil that is going on and in his own time, he will punish those who are involved in these things if they do not repent. In the case of America, the Lord has punished them a good number of times and in many other European nations, a lot of the evil that is happening to them is somehow a judgment of God on them. When they had the civil war in, the, in America in the 50s and 60s, it was God's judgment on them. Reading from Testimonies, Volume 1, page 264, paragraph 1, this inspiration says, God is punishing this nation for the high crime of slavery. He has the destiny of the nation in his hands. He will punish the South for the sin of slavery and the North for, the, for so long suffering its overreaching and overbearing influence going on. Uh, she, she said, the fugitive slave law was calculated to crush out of man every noble, generous feeling of sympathy that should arise in his heart for the oppressed and suffering slave. It was in direct opposition to the teaching of Christ. God's scourge is now upon the north because they have so long submitted to the advances of the slave power. The sin of northern pro-slavery men is great. They have strengthened the South in their sin by sanctioning the extension of slavery. They have acted a prominent part in bringing the nation into its present distressed condition. I was shown that many do not realize the extent of the evil which has come upon us. They have flattered themselves that the national difficulties will soon be settled and confusion and war end. 
but all will be convinced that there is more reality in the matter than was anticipated. Many have looked for the North to strike a blow and end the controversy. But of course, that didn't happen. End of quote. So, even in the US, because of their slave trade, the Lord punished them. And today, the Lord is still involved in doing things like that. And that is why, like I said, do not meddle when you hear of the wars and the rumors of wars that are going on. And sometimes, when we look at the way the Lord asked his people to plunder and destroy, some people may say, oh, this is just wickedness. Why would the Lord say this? For example, we saw when Moses told the children of Israel to destroy the Midianitish women and they should not spare any of them. Also, in the days of David, he did the same thing. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 27, from verse 8 to 11, it says, And David and his men, and his men went up and invaded the Jeshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites. For those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to shore, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land, and left neither man nor woman alive, and took away the sheep, and the oxen, and the asses, and the camels, and the apparel, and returned, and came to Achish. Okay, you got the point there. David did not spare man or woman. And this was what the Lord told to Samuel destroy all now the question in the minds of some will say would be why such kind of plunder in destroying everything even sucklings and little children and women and men why i'll read now from selected messages volume 2 page 332 down to 334 to explain why and i can't say it any better it says moses commanded the men of war to destroy the women and male children balaam had sold the children of israel for a reward and he perished with the people whose favor he had obtained at the sacrifice of 24,000 of the Israelites. The Lord is regarded as cruel by many in requiring his people to make war with other nations. They say that it is contrary to his benevolent character. But he who made the world and formed man to dwell upon the earth has unlimited control over all the works of his hands, and it is his right to do as he pleases and what he pleases with the work of his hands. Man has no right to say to his maker, Why doest thou thus? There is no injustice in his character. He is the ruler of the world, and a large portion of his subjects have rebelled against his authority and have trampled upon his law. He has bestowed upon them liberal blessings and surrounded them with everything needful. Yet, they have bowed to images of wood and stone, silver and gold, which their own hands have made. They teach their children that these are the gods that give them life and health, and make their lands fruitful, and give them riches and honor. They scorn the God of Israel. They despise his people because their works are righteous. The fool had said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. Psalms 14 verse 1. God has borne with them until they filled up the measure of their iniquity, and then he has brought, the, brought upon them swift destruction. He has used his people as instruments of his wrath to punish wicked nations who have vexed them and seduced them into idolatry. A family picture was presented before me. 
A part of the children seem anxious to learn and obey the requirements of the father, while the others trample upon his authority and seem to exalt in showing contempt of his family government. They share the benefits of their father's house and are constantly receiving of his bounty. They are wholly dependent upon him for all they receive, yet are not grateful but conduct themselves proudly, as though all the favors they received of their indulgent parents were supplied by themselves. The father notices all the disrespectful acts of his disobedient, ungrateful children, yet he bears with them. At length, these rebellious children go still further and seek to influence and lead to rebellion those members of their father's family who have hitherto been been faithful. Let me just pause to, to make you understand what's going on here. The father here represents God, the children represent the whole world and they are divided into the faithful and the unfaithful. Now we are reading here that these ones who are unfaithful even want to influence those who are faithful to do evil. The faithful represent God's children while the unfaithful represents the nations and the individuals who are doing evil and despising God's authority so that you understand the perspective and the lesson that is being taught here in this parable. It says, at length, these rebellious children go still further and seek to influence and lead to rebellion those members of their father's family who have hitherto been faithful. Then, all the dignity and authority of the father is called into action, and he expels from his house the rebellious children who have not only abused his love and blessings themselves but tried to subvert the remaining few who had submitted to the wise and judicious laws of their father's household. For the sake of the few who are loyal, whose happiness was exposed to the seditious influence of the rebellious members of his household, he separates from his family his undutiful children, while at the same time he labors to bring closer to himself the remaining faithful and loyal ones. All would honor the wise and just course of such a parent in punishing most severely his undutiful rebellious children. God has dealt thus with his children, but man in his blindness will overlook the abominations of the ungodly and pass by unnoticed the continual ingratitude and rebellion and heaven-daring sins of those who trample upon God's law and defy his authority. They do not stop here but exult in subverting his people, that's God's people and influencing them by their wiles to transgress and show open contempt for the wise requirements of Jehovah. Some can see only destruction of God's enemies which looks to them unmerciful and severe. They do not look upon the other side. But let everlasting thanks be given that impulsive, changeable man with all his boasted benevolence is not the disposer and controller of events. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Proverbs 12 verse 10 end of quote. I think the, the message is clear there on how the Lord deals with nations and it is, it is not for us to judge the Lord because he's doing it for our good. He is a judge. And sometimes some people look at people who God has placed as leaders of nations going into war and you are feeling like, oh, they shouldn't go into war and all of that. I'm not the leader of any nation, but I know that their work is difficult and the Lord can raise them to go into wars for some reason best known to himself. And it's not for us to enter into the judgment seat and say oh this is a wicked person or this is not a wicked person let god be the judge of such things especially when we do not have all the information suffice to say 
that we must exonerate and vindicate, vindicate God in these matters. He has raised up Israel for this purpose and he has raised, us, raised up other nations for the purpose also. And remember the lesson of the test that the Lord will take us over the same ground again to be tested so that we can develop the right character and prove ourselves. Let us also vindicate the character of God in the things he has said in the judging of the nations. I pray that this lesson shall be of great benefit to us. Whenever you are going through a test again, remember the Lord wants you to pass it this time. Request strength from Him. Pray that you may pass that test and have a very good and proper balanced outlook to the things that are going on in the world. Do not pick sides when you do not have all the information. The Lord is involved with these things. Do not meddle like Josiah. Do not meddle when Pharaoh is going to make his war because you may be meddling with God. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for these lessons we have learned today. We pray, please, grant us more understanding. And I pray that these words shall be words that will increase our knowledge and understanding of you. That we also will replicate your character, the way you judge things, that we also will learn to judge things in the same manner. Your long-suffering, your mercy, and your kindness towards the wicked help us to have it too. And when it is time to separate to execute judgment in our own spheres help us lord to be able to do that too and not be over indulgent and by pray lord many of us have had areas where we have failed in the past tests that we have failed i know lord in your mercy that you will bring us towards the test again please lord bring it so that we can develop the characters and help us in that time of testing that we may find strength from you to overcome in jesus name i pray amen